Well, good morning, church. Today we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through chapter 2, 9. And if you want to use the Pew Bible, that's on page 801. So in the Pew Bible, it's going to be on page 801, and it's beginning in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. And if you don't know me, my name's Josh. I am the children and youth pastor here. So uh, I'm sure there's many visitors here today. We are glad you're here uh, to worship the Lord with us. And so uh, if you would, bow your heads now and let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we are able to gather today and worship you. Uh, We have that freedom to gather in a building like this with no fear of being shut down or, 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 or officials and police coming in. So we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that freedom. Would you help us today to receive your word, that it would challenge us, that it would um, perhaps even correct and encourage us to worship you rightly as God our Father. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So, as you know, it's the last Sunday of 2017. So many of you, if you've not already, are beginning to think about 2018, perhaps New Year's resolutions, goals. Um, some of you may have just given up because you always get frustrated by failing. Um, but I, I hope that today's passage will actually encourage us to evaluate life, evaluate how we worship God. And so I want us to think about how do we worship Him. And I, I can't think of a more appropriate topic for us to think about and Thankfully, the Lord's providence has brought us here because um, it was before I was even thinking about preparing uh, to preach to you today that uh, the Lord uh, just was saying, I think you need to preach through the book of Malachi. And so uh, with that, I trust that it is God's word to us today that we would learn uh, what it means to worship him and even how that applies to us corporately when we gather on a Sunday. And so... uh, Malachi is going to show us what it means to worship God rightly as Father. And I think even applied specifically to corporate worship. And even the New Testament tells us lots about that, what it means to worship God together as His people. Because it says in Hebrews, it says, Do not neglect the gathering together or the meeting as is the habit of some. So even back to the early days of the church, there were some who neglected the gathering together. We also know in the New Testament it says that when we gather, we're supposed to read and pray and sing God's Word. And in fact, most of the New Testament letters are written to churches. And the expectation was Paul or or the writers of these letters are writing to the churches and that these letters would be then read in front of the church when they gathered. So Scripture has lots for us about what we should be doing when we gather. And so if Scripture places a high priority on the gathering of God's people, then that also means that there's a great importance on what happens when God's people meet and the hearts of God's people when they gather to worship Him together. And that's what I think Malachi is going to show us today, is is going to show us what true worship of God our Father is and what the result of failing to worship him as father looks like. 
and the consequences of that. So would you read with me now in Malachi chapter 1? We'll start in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, that its, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an, as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Take instruction with his mouth. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble in your instru- in your, by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. The Lord is very stern. He's very firm. He doesn't beat around the bush, he's straight to the point. And he's addressing the priests who are supposed to be these religious leaders who are leading the people to rightly worship, to rightly sacrifice to their great God. 
And so, elders, pastors here today, there's a strong word in this for you and I. To lead God's people. To worship Him rightly. But it's more than just to the the priests. They're the ones that are, are directly being addressed, but you also see the actions of the people. The people are the ones who are bringing these lame, blind, and sick animals. And so, yes, there's a very strong word for the elders and pastors here in this church, but also for every single one of us today. There's a strong word of how we should worship our great God. It's a message for all of us that we should bring offerings worthy of our great God. And so Malachi, actually, he begins by addressing their worship of God and and their view of him, right? If you remember back uh, maybe a few weeks ago when I was preaching and and gave an overview of Malachi, these people, Israel, at this time, they're they're very comfortable, but yet they're, they're a little bit disgruntled as well. And so they've got this skewed view of who the Lord is, and it affects their worship of God. And Malachi starts there in verse 6. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. So there's this beginning, this back and forth exchange between God and his people. And there's this familiarity that these people have with God because they're in this close covenant relationship with him. They have this knowledge of God that should actually lead them to revering and honoring him as father. But that's not what happens. Israel's familiarity with him is actually bred contempt, right? You've heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. That, that is, that, that there's this extensive knowledge or, or closeness of association with someone Or something that leads to a loss of respect for them or for it. This happens all the time in our human relationships, right? You hold someone in high regard and you want to spend time with them. And the more time you spend with them, they're actually just normal people, right? They've got flaws. They're sinful. They might have some pretty cool things about them too. But you start to kind of lose that air of honor and respect the more you get to know somebody, because you're more familiar with them. That's what's happening here with Israel. But it should actually be the exact opposite. Why? Because God's not like us. The more we get to know Him, the more we should understand His holiness, His perfections, His goodness. That should cause us to revere Him even more. That should have been happening for Israel. But it's not. And so Malachi is saying, you worship God. God's saying, where's my honor? You honor your fathers. You fear your masters, your bosses. Where's my honor as your father? And a son who honors his father acknowledges his, his weight. Not like in pounds, but his significance, right? His authority. His importance in his life. That's how a son honors his father. And God's saying, you don't honor me when you come to worship me. You failed. Right? God wants to be worshipped rightly. 
which means he must be worshipped on his terms. So true worship of God as Father is on his terms. God doesn't just want this outward ceremony that these people come to him and they bring him these gifts of, of sacrifice and offering. He's not interested in just mere formalities. He's, worship, he's, he's concerned with the heart of the worshiper. He wants everything from his people. It's kind of similar with a husband and wife, right? Wives, you don't necessarily want your husbands to just report home after work. You don't want them to just be a mere roommate. You want to know your husband. You want to have a closeness with him. You want him to know you. You want your relationship to be involved intimately. And I mean not just physically. I'm talking about just you want to know them as a person. God wants intimacy with his people. He wants them to know him, to respond to who he is in worship with great honor. And so because of that, he says, I am a great king and I'm worthy of all your worship. And it's supposed to be on my terms. That is that you're supposed to bring me your greatest and nothing less. You're supposed to bring me a perfect animal, a male, without blemish, that's not lame, that's not sick and ill. It must be perfect. God deserves the best from his people and nothing less. So he's, he's saying, you come to worship me, and it's just a mere ritual. You're not coming to me on my terms. You're bringing me something that, that's yours, but it's, it's really just worthless. Right? What are you going to do with the lame? It's not doing you any good. You're sick. They're not doing you any good. So it's meant to be costly. So God says, Worship, true worship of me is meant to be on my terms. You bring me what I ask of you, and it's also going to be costly. It wasn't by accident that God's asking for their best, the greatest from their flock. It's not an accident that he's asking for pure, perfect animals. And so the question is, why is it so dangerous for them to not bring him a pure perfect animal? Is it because the perfect animal would actually cover the sins of these imperfect people? Well, of course not. They had to keep continually offering sacrifice after sacrifice. So it's not that this perfect animal is actually paying the penalty of the sins of the imperfect people. But God's requiring perfection in this sacrifice for them, I think for a number of reasons. One, I think it's to teach them that it is costly. It's costly for you to worship me, if you're going to worship me rightly. And I think it's also to teach them that this perfection to cover your sins is actually going to be required from something outside of yourself. What did it truly cost to cover sin? The blood of Christ. The most precious thing that you could think of. God sending his only son to die. It cost him to cover your sin. This is God saying, give me your best. 
Not that your best can actually cover your own sin, but it's because I'm a great God. I'm your Father who's worthy of honor. I'm a great Father who's worthy of great honor. And so it must be costly. Think of the example of David from 2 Samuel chapter 24. The prophet Gad comes to him and says, Go, and I'm gonna, I might butcher the name, but go to Aruna and build an altar there and sacrifice to God. So what does David do? He goes to Aruna and says, and actually Aruna actually sees the king coming. And when David gets there, he says, whatever you want, you can have it. And David says, well, I've come to, to build an altar to worship God, to sacrifice to God. And so Aruna says, well, here, here's my oxen. Here's actually even the yoke that go on the oxen. You can use that wood to burn on the altar for sacrifice. Aruna says, you can have it. It's yours. You're the king. You can sacrifice to God. And what does David respond with? Do you know? He says, I'm not interested in you giving it to me. Verse 24 of chapter 24, 2 Samuel says, David says to Aruna, no, but I will build it, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Right? David was going to do what he was supposed to do. That is sacrifice to the Lord. And someone's going to even give him something to sacrifice. And David says, I'm not interested. No, thank you. That's not actually sacrifice. I want to sacrifice that which is going to cost me something. So I wonder, do you and I, do we try to offer our worship to God that costs us nothing? And I'm primarily thinking right now about our corporate worship. Do we show up sometimes even feeling like it's a chore? Or the alarm goes off and, man, it sure does feel good to lay in the bed. It's cold outside, too. I don't really want to get out of this warm bed. Does it feel like a chore? Do you have a burden to meet with God's people to worship our great Heavenly Father? And I'm afraid that sometimes we show up kind of like these people were showing up to sacrifice their animals. And here's just a checklist that we might kind of run through in our minds thinking, I've, I, if I can do these things, check, I worship the Lord. Here's just a checklist I, I kind of thought of. Did I show up? Right? You, you all can at least say, I, I've at least showed up. You're here today. Did I smile when I was spoken to? Did I stand when I was asked to stand? Did I at least look at the words on the screen when it was time to sing? Maybe I could even have another check mark for I actually sang a chorus or maybe two choruses. Did I sit and not fall asleep during the elders' prayer? Did I stay awake for at least 15 minutes of the sermon? Congratulations, you made it that far. Was I friendly with people while my wife talked to everyone after the service? Right? Sometimes these are the expectations that we have when we come to worship. And check, 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 
I've done it all. I've worshipped the Lord today. But aren't these all just mere externals, rituals, you could even call them? And so as I'm even studying this passage, I'm trying to think, of what are some possible indicators in my own heart that I'm here ready to worship my great God as my Father? These aren't exhaustive. Um, perhaps you could think of some others. But here's are just maybe some possible heart indicators of us truly coming to worship God on His terms that might even cost us something. Have I read and prayed over the passage before Sunday morning? I think that might show a heart that's eager to hear from God when the word is preached. Do I come with an eagerness to worship? What's the longing of our hearts when we gather to worship? And do I look forward to expressing my love and affection for God through song? Right? Music is given to us by God, and there's something about music where it combines words and, and these deep feelings that music can bring and combines the two. That in some ways you can express deep devotion and worship of God in a way that you can't with just mere words. What's your view of the music? Is it just something to, to merely get through? Do I participate in prayer by aligning my heart as an elder prays over our church, God's Word? If you haven't picked up on it yet, the, the passage that is read from the elder is, the, is typically the opposite testament of what's being preached from. And the idea is that the theme of that passage being read would align with what's being preached. And then the prayer is focused around that same passage that's read that God might align our hearts with Him. It's not just a time we want to fill up some space in a service. And so what's our attitude when we are approaching prayer? Some other maybe indicators. Do I look forward to receiving God's Word that it might produce a greater love for God in my heart? And do I reflect upon the truth I have learned after Sunday service is over? That might even be an indicator of, I've received God's word with an eagerness that now I also want to remember it and live it. And so, there's a part of me that feels like, in, in, in a way, I'm, I'm beating you down, right? I don't want it to be received like that, but I do think there are some of us here, perhaps that are just here for the mere formality. Or here, just because it's on my Sunday schedule and it's kind of my ritual. It's what I do on a Sunday morning. But I do know that there are some of you also that want to be here. That some of you that want God. But yet, sometimes we carry in here a low view of our gathering together. Worshiping God as our great Father who's due all glory and honor for His name. And so, what if today, on a Sunday morning, or the next Sunday morning, you come with an eager expectation, wanting to hear from God and wanting to worship Him with such wholehearted devotion that it changes the rest of your week? Perhaps even the rest of your life. 
Not because I've got something fancy to say or Stephen has something slick to put in your minds for you to think about, but because it's God's word that we gather around to worship our great God. So what if we just put in half the effort preparing to worship our God as we do for SAT preps? Or preparing for the big work presentation that's coming up? Or preparing for the next promotion? What if we gave everything, all of us, in worship to God on a Sunday, worshiping Him that He might change us forever? He just might do it. I think he would. I think this would honor him. This would bring great glory to his name when we, his people, come to him. So this plays itself out in so many ways that I've already brought up. Some with prayer and how we receive the word and the way we sing. It engages our hearts and our minds. Worship's not just mere intellect. It's not just mere head knowledge. But it engages our hearts, our entire being, even in our giving. These people were giving of what's worthless, the the cost them nothing leftovers of their flock that didn't have any value, right? I'll bring it. I need something to give to God, so I'll give him something that's worthless to me. What about in our giving of our money? Do we bring the God the leftovers in our budget at the end of the week? Or are we saying when as soon as the paycheck comes, that money's set aside, it belongs to the Lord because He is worthy of all of it actually. I think we run the risk of treating the sacred things as ordinary things when we forget about the honor due our Father when we, when we come to worship Him. So God has given us this grounds or for true worship that, that true worship of God is not easy and it's not comfortable. It's on his terms and it's costly. But there's also a consequence here, right? There's failure to worship God as Father. There's results of what happens when we don't worship him as Father. We see in verse 14, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that it cheats God. A failure to worship God begins with a failure to honor God as Father. So what's happening? What's happening is that you're actually cheating God of the honor due His name when we don't worship Him as Father. And the people knew this. They knew what they were supposed to bring, right? Read with me again in verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. So they knew what they were supposed to bring. They even make a vow to do it. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So they've promised to bring to God what's appropriate. But yet they brought less. Because they valued their flocks more than they valued God. They're cheating God of, of, uh, with these sacrifices. They're cheating Him of the honor that's due His name when they come to worship. Do you and I come on Sundays thinking we've checked off the religious activity box, but yet we're actually cheating God of the worship He's due 
to this, God says, I would rather you shut the doors, board up the windows, lock the doors, and not return again. That's strong. He would rather the doors of the temple had been shut, people kept away from worshiping him, than to defile him by offering sacrifices that didn't honor him as father, that didn't cost them anything. That's how evil it is, right? Their lazy and apathetic ritualistic worship was evil. So a failure to worship God as father in his eyes is evil. And so we talk about many things as being evil, right? Animal cruelty, child abuse, sexual assault, the rich abusing, taking advantage of the poor. All of those are evil. And we will easily and quickly identify those as evil. But yet God looks at these people's religion when they show up to offer sacrifices and said, that's evil. You're doing nothing but defaming the name of God when they offered animals that were impure, that were lame and blind and sick. God calls this evil. It seems a bit strong. Right? At least they're, at least they're doing. At least they're showing up. Right? You might even think, well, I'm here. At least I'm, I'm like one step better than the people that aren't here, aren't trying to worship God. God doesn't necessarily have that perspective. He's deserving of your worship and your honor. He says it's evil to, to offer him anything less than what he is due. That's God's perspective, right? And then check out this example he gives us in verse 8. Look at verse 8 from um, chapter 1 with me. He says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. So now God's like bringing it down a level. He says, Those who are in charge of you, who rule over you, would you even offer to them what you're offering to me? And the obvious answer is, of course not. So then the reply is, why do they offer this to God? They wouldn't even give these things to their imperfect governors. Why would you offer something far, uh, why would you offer this to, to someone who is deserving of far greater honor and worship than your imperfect governors? Right? Think about if the president's coming to your house for dinner. You're not just going to welcome the president in and say, ah, let me open up the freezer. Let me see what frozen leftover lasagna I've gotten there to offer you. Right? No matter what your view is on the president, you know that the title comes with a due respect and honor. You wouldn't offer leftover lasagna to a president. That's just foolish. That's silly. You would actually make plans. Your wife 
would probably be calling her friends and saying, the president's coming, what should I fix for the president? You'd have, you'd roll out the red carpet, you'd have filet mignon or lobster or you name whatever it is that you really like, that you're hoping the president would like. You would make plans to show honor to your governor. Yet, sometimes you offer leftovers to God. Is that not evil? It is. So until we see God as our majestic Father, deserving of ultimate honor and reverence in our lives, we will be prone to wander. We will be prone to commit evil acts of false half-hearted worship. But we also see that failure to worship God as Father, it brings curses. We see this a lot, over and over in this passage, beginning with verse 14 through the uh, verse 9 of chapter 2. But listen to Malachi 2.2. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So he says, I will curse you when you don't honor me. The blessings that the priests were supposed to be pronouncing would actually be curses upon the people of God. There's these curses upon them and it's because they're not honoring him as God but let it be known also that there is a great curse for anyone who does not bow a knee to King Jesus who does not submit to his authority there is a great curse that cannot be overcome that is we deserve hell we deserve separation. As is talked about here, the people of God deserving to be taken out of, the priests deserve to be taken out of the camp, separated from the presence of God. If you do not bow a knee to King Jesus, worship Him rightly with all of your life, with your heart trusting in Him alone, there is a great curse that you can never overcome. Separation from Him. But if you do trust in the perfect sacrifice, the one that actually does pay for the penalty of your sins, if you will trust in Christ, you'll be accepted by God. You'll be with Him. And so what greater joy could you and I have today? There's none. There's no greater joy than to delight to worship in God as our great Father who's deserving of great honor. And so there is also this idea, right? It says that, and we talked about this last night um, with my kids. They weren't, at least not all of them, were familiar with dung, right? So there's this promise of dung being spread on the faces of the priests, So if you're a kid and you don't know what dung is, it's poop, okay? Um, Yes, you heard that in a sermon, it is poop. Usually referred to as an animal poop, 
And imagine that being spread on your face. A sign of humiliation. But even more than that is that these priests, when that would happen or if it were to happen, would mean they are unclean and unfit for service and leading the people of God in worship. That they too, just like the dung that should have been taken out of the camp and discarded and taken away from God and His people, they too are deserving of that when they don't worship Him as Father with honor. And so there's, there's great things for us to learn from this, right? There's this covenant blessing that will be removed from them. They'll be plagued by trouble. They'll lose their honor. They'll lose their protection as God's people. There's this picture of grossness from sin. And so these priests that dishonor God, He will then dishonor them. So there's great consequences, right? And I, God still has the same expectation for us to did, to did, to did, can't I say it to today. It's not just something he expected then, but it's an expectation now that his people would come to him on his terms to worship him. And we see an example of what might happen to God's people if they don't do this even today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Toward the end of Paul talking about taking of communion together, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of God. Of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And the very next verse, listen to this. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So for us to think that God back in the day in the Old Testament times, had high expectations for worship of Him, that they had to bring perfect bulls and goats and and lambs. But God's lenient. He's loving. All of that was true then, and it's still true today. And what's still true today is that He requires great worship, honor that's due His name. So perhaps there are even consequences today when we take lightly the worship of God. Paul showed us that when we take lightly the worship of God through communion. So there's a great danger of offering half-hearted, leftover worship to the King of Kings, the Great King. He's deserving of everything. And so let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that we can offer just our schedule, our time, just show up here on a Sunday morning. Because to that, God would say, you disgust me. Lock the doors. Don't come and worship in my name. So there's consequences. But I don't want to end on this note. I actually want to end on a really high note. I want to leave you with this vision that you see in Malachi 1.11. Look at verse 11 for me. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Two different times, 
or three different times, it says will be. So currently at the time, not yet, but one day will be great among the nations. That means all nations, right? In every place, there's going to be this incense offered by or to God in his name. It's going to be the nations coming together to worship our great God. And so I I even want to read one more passage because I know, at least in my own heart and probably in yours too, that when we have a great vision of what is coming, it fuels our worship today. So listen to Revelation chapter 5. Three verses for you. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, right? So God, it's like this incense when we pray. When the people of God are praying to him, it's a pleasing aroma in his nose. He smells it and it pleases him when we pray. But also the response is, they sang a new song. And listen to their words. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. God's people, at the end of all time, will come together worshiping Him. Praying that it might be a a, a wonderful smelling incense and aroma to Him. And that they sing to Him as a response to who He is. So you see this connection, right? It's a, a pure offering. These prayers of the saints, the songs that they're offering to Him. And here's the beauty. The pure offering, the Lamb of God, is due our pure offering in eyes fixed on Him, in hearts that are enthralled with Him when we come to worship. So my question for us today as we close is, Hamilton Baptist Church, how do we worship our God when we gather? Do you worship God as Father, giving Him honor and the glory due His name? That's my prayer. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to You now. We ask that You would use Your Word in us, that Your Holy Spirit would be changing us, even helping us to see perhaps ways that we have not or we fail to come to you with this pure offering of worship that we wouldn't take it lightly that our knowledge of you would not produce a familiarity that just produces lazy worship but that our knowledge of you would actually heighten the expectation or our heart's longing for coming to worship you that we would respond to you in singing and receiving of your word through the reading of it and the preaching of it and the praying of it with our whole hearts. That Sunday morning wouldn't just be a time that 
is a ritual because it's on our calendar and it's what our family's used to doing, but that it would be the eager expectation of the privilege of coming to you with our brothers and sisters to worship you, our Father. Help us to grow in honoring you when we approach you. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.